Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not going to thump you with it. We believe in the world-changing power of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. Right now, the whole world is in a process of adapting to new realities, and so are we. Building community and sharing all this love and power suddenly seems like it might become a bit more challenging. But really, how lucky are we that we're facing all this in the 21st century? Throughout the duration of this new world coronavirus order, we'll be doing all of church online. But we're not afraid. We worship a God who is bigger than all of this, who's seen it all before, and will work all things together for the good of those who love him. We love you, and we're here. Stay in touch and enjoy this podcast. To Jacob, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. What amazing grace, and what reassurance to God's people hearing this story for the first time as they sit in exile, robbed of their land. He has not left us. He will bring us back to our land. And of course, what reassurance to us in Not quite as dramatic an exile, let's be completely honest, but as we sit in quarantine, the inheritors, thanks to Jesus of all these promises, he will watch over us. He has not left us alone. And Jacob acknowledges that God must be in this place, and he builds an altar, and he he remembers the place. He calls it Bethel. This should be the turning point for Jacob, shouldn't it? No more hustling, no more deceiving. God is with him. He has promised him everything. So just allow God in, Jacob. But instead, this is his response. Verse 13. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, God says to Jacob. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. What amazing grace, and what reassurance to God's people hearing this story for the first time as they sit in exile, robbed of their land. He has not left us. He will bring us back to our land. And of course, what reassurance to us in not quite as dramatic an exile, let's be completely honest, but as we sit in quarantine, the inheritors, thanks to Jesus of all these promises, he will watch over us. He has not left us alone. And Jacob acknowledges that God must be in this place, and he builds an altar, and he, uh, he remembers the place. He calls it Bethel. This should be the turning point for Jacob, shouldn't it? No more hustling, no more deceiving, God is with him. He has promised him everything. So just allow God in, Jacob. But instead, this is his response, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, if he will watch over me, if he will give me food to eat, if 
he will give me clothes to wear then. The Lord will be my God. If. If. It's so hard to unlearn our self-reliance, isn't it? Yes to God, but only if we can have him on our own terms. God, just like Esau and Isaac before him, becomes for Jacob just another means to an end. So let's just sit with Jacob's flaws for a second. It's what the narrative forces us to do, in fact. We all have our ideas of what heroes are supposed to be like. In their most basic form, they are perfect and they have supernatural power. In more nuanced storytelling, they are relatable and flawed anti-hero types. But with Jacob, it's not really clear that he's either of those things. He just seems to be a scumbag. Now, for the original audience, they want Jacob to be their hero, but that will not stop the narrator painting him in all his gory detail. In fact, the story is written in such a way that it's actually Esau who demands our sympathy. He may be a bit simple, Esau, he's a bit base, he's extremely hairy, but that's not actually a character flaw to have a lot of hair. In fact, he is the innocent victim. And he is the one who right at the end of the story is actually the wronged one who is entirely forgiving of his duplicitous brother. Esau is the one who deserves the pity. And this is important because Esau becomes the patriarch of Edom. Now, Edom was a kingdom to the southeast of Israel with whom the Israelites had a number of run-ins. In fact, their history was one of conflict and war, and it became customary in post-Isilic time for the Israelites to blame the Edomites for the destruction of Jerusalem and their temple, even though there wasn't much evidence that they were complicit. Now, the Edomites are for sure no angels. In fact, they become increasingly opposing of God's plans. However, what the author of Genesis is reminding his audience of is where these two kingdoms have come from. The Edomites are people who have had a rough deal from the start, and it's not their fault. So, says the narrator, let us remember where they come from, and let's also remember where we came from, Jacob. It's like the narrator is holding up a mirror to the Israelites. This is our origin, let's not forget it. Now, if you are like me, you will not like seeing yourself on camera or in photos or generally ever because it's been one of these sort of deep traumas of quarantine for me. We have to film every week because I don't look like this. I look a lot, a lot better and particularly a lot younger. I just look great. At least that's what I think I do. It's like when people hear themselves recorded on tape and they go, my voice does not sound like, I, that's not what I sound like. And everyone else is going, nope, that is exactly what you sound like. We hold internal pictures of what we would like to be like that often aren't quite what we actually are. And so when we see what we're actually like, it's a little disconcerting. Now, the narrator of Genesis is not showing Jacob like this to shame anyone. He's not doing it to make the Israelites feel guilty about their past. He's doing it to make one crucial point. And this is it. There is only one hero in the story, and it's certainly not Jacob. The hero's name is G-O-D. But, of course, for most of the drama, the only hero, the only god for Jacob, is him himself. He is the archetypal self-reliant one, running his own life on his own terms in his own way. And it's very easy to see why. The world tells us there are two sorts of people. 
There are the winners and there are the losers. There are those whom fortune favours and there are those whom it does not. There are those who make something of their lives and there are those who do not. Now, nobody wants to be the one whose life is lived out without blessing. Nobody wants to live a life that without having any special words or gestures that bind that life to a precious past or a promised future. We see it played out in our 21st century context the whole time. There are those who are privileged, who have everything. There are those who have before them good family, good genes, good school, money, opportunity. They are destined to succeed, and some of them, a bit like Esau, take it all a little bit too much for granted, which makes them very easy to despise and to resent by everyone else. And then there are those who are the have-nots, but who refuse to let circumstances or birth position or lack of privilege hold them back. They're going to hustle and make a better life for themselves. Jacob knows nothing of the love of his earthly father. He's not ever had his father fight for him. He has not been blessed. In Paddington 2, which may well be the greatest film to watch during lockdown, Paddington Bear is wrongly convicted of a crime he did not commit and is sentenced to prison where he meets Knuckles McGinty, played by Brendan Gleeson. Now, Knuckles is the prison cook who everyone is scared of, and Knuckles' mantra, which he repeats over and over again, is this. I don't do nothing for no one for nothing. Which may well be a bit too many negatives and might actually mean that he does everything for everyone, but let's not get bogged down in it. The point is this. That could be Jacob's mantra for his life. Do not trust anyone. Look after yourself. Everyone and everything is a means to an end. How can I get what I want from life? And how can other people help me to get it? Esau, Isaac, Laban, even God, they're all there to work for Jacob's ends. The world is against him, but he's going to wrestle his way to success through it anyway. And he wrestles and he fights and he hustles and he wrestles throughout his whole life until he finally comes to the fight that he cannot win. This is Genesis Chapter 32, which is going to be read by Tara, and this is where everything changes. The night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him and he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip 
was touched near the tendon. Thank you, Tara. Now, there are various theories about who this shadowy figure is with whom Jacob is having this wrestling match. Is it a man? Is it uh, Esau? Is it an angel? None of the theories are particularly convincing because the narrator has left the details purposefully vague. So speculating about who this person is is actually a bit of a waste of time. The point that the narrator wants us to know is this, that whoever it is that is being wrestled by Jacob, the underlying significance of this fight is that it is a fight between Jacob and between God. Now, if you were to ask Jacob, who is it who you have spent your whole life wrestling with? I think the number one answer would be Esau. He is my undeserving brother, my competitor, the one who got all the luck, was treated with all the privilege, and yet had so little respect for it. Or he might also say, it's Isaac, my father, who never had a good word to say for me, who preferred my brother, who didn't acknowledge me, who wouldn't have blessed me. Or he might just say, it's the whole world. The world was set up against me from birth. It's completely unfair. What this decisive episode in Jacob's life makes clear is that actually, all along, Jacob's fight has not been with any of those people or those things, it's been with God. We um, came to LA as a family uh, four years ago to start this church. We felt called to come here and begin this church plant. And along the journey, there were lots of um, extraordinary sort of things that happened which seemed to affirm that calling. But I have to say, even before we got here, the journey was very, very uh, difficult. We had 18 months stuck in the UK waiting for our visas to be granted whilst the sort of money that we'd uh, raised started to trickle away. And then when we arrived here, it was just hard work from the start. It was pushing water up a hill and it felt pretty much from month to month, are we going to be able to carry on doing this? Is it worth it? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? But then, gloriously, I would say from the beginning of this year, 2020, things seem to really have shifted. It looked like we turned a corner. We had a significantly growing congregation. For the first time, we weren't thinking we are going to run out of money at the end of this month. We had an office and things were great. January and February 2020, we were in the land of milk and church planting honey. It was great. And then there was a worldwide pandemic of coronavirus. And we, along with everyone else, were plunged back into struggling once again. And throughout all of these struggles, I will be honest, Pretty much everyone and everything got the brunt of our frustration. I'm pretty sure I've blamed most of the people that I've ever met before for our situation, including the dog. The dog has got a lot of blame. Ultimately, it was why me? Why is this happening? But really, I think what we've both come to realise is that in these times, our wrestle has really only been with God. Why can't he just make it easy? And I wouldn't be surprised if deep down any wrestles you may be having are also fundamentally with him. Which is not to say, of course, that other people are blameless. But I think 
we would all save ourselves quite a lot of time and effort if we just went straight to the one who we'd need to acknowledge that we're having a fight with. So the turning point in this passage comes in verse 25 and 26. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. Up until now, Jacob does not know who it is with whom he is fighting. They've been wrestling all night with no clear winner. But when the man sees that he cannot overpower Jacob, he touches his hip socket. And touch is exactly the right word. The word in Hebrew means the slightest of touches, barely discernible. So with this feather of a touch, the man is able to cripple Jacob for the rest of his life. What extraordinary power. And so it's in this moment that Jacob realizes quite who he's dealing with. This is no ordinary man. If he can cripple me with a touch, he could obliterate me in an instant. So here everything changes. Rather than fighting this man off as he has been for the last however many hours, Jacob now knows that he needs to hold on to him instead. Because Jacob for the first time realises in the light of God's extraordinary power, of his majesty and his awesomeness right there with him, the blessing that Jacob has been looking for all his life of security and prosperity, of inheritance and wealth, of descendants and a future, the one he has used everyone he has ever come in contact with to try and get it for him. This is nothing nothing compared to the blessing he has right now of having an infinite God for himself, of experiencing his nearness and his compassion and his kindness and his power and his goodness. So Jacob is not fighting God off anymore, raging at why God won't give him what he wants. He's holding on to God, knowing it's in him that he has everything he'll ever need. And this changes him forever. No longer is he Jacob, the self-reliant hustler, fighting against the world. He's Israel, the one who holds on to God, blessing the whole world. Is it a crippling victory or a magnificent defeat? Probably both. It's clear that the only reason that there is a fight at all is because God has emptied himself of his power, made himself weak enough so as not to destroy Jacob instantaneously. And as such, this episode is of course a foreshadow to the very heart of Christian theology. To win is to lose. Weakness is power, and the last shall be first. God has in this episode for Jacob, and on the cross in Jesus for everyone, come to the very depths for us. He's made himself weak so that we might be strong. He has bowed low so that we might be raised up. And on the one hand, Jacob soars to Promethean heights, and on the other, he will now forever walk with a limp, because only God is God. There is just one hero to this story. But where the world says, you are what you make yourself. Dog eat dog. There's only so much to go around, so get as much as you possibly can. The gospel says you are who he says you are. 
there's more than enough to go around and no one has to fight for position. It's not either Esau or Jacob, it's not either you or someone else, it's everyone, everywhere, for all of time, forever, because of him. It requires us to bow down low. Jacob is, for the first time, weak. There can only be one hero. We are the crippled, but we are the blessed ones. And it's this kind of embrace of his new identity that allows Jacob to go to his wronged brother. To go to him and to bow down to him in contrite, total humiliation and to be forgiven. And so it is with us. Our lives to serve the whole world and one another. Our lives to lift up the downtrodden our lives to reconcile brother to brother. The reunion between Esau and Jacob is not just so that a family can be reunited because families are supposed to be reunited. It's actually a spiritual act. It is a fundamental part of God's rescue plan for the whole world. It is the act which enables Israel to return to the land to be made one again, and to be the people God has created them to be, to fulfill their purposes in the world. It's how the ancient rescue plan continued, and it's how it continues for us. He will be our God, and we will be blessed if limping people. It's what it means to be part of his kingdom. So, as we come to an end, we're going to listen to a song of worship. You can sing along if you like, or just let the music and the words wash over you. But this is a chance for us to come to him again and to allow him to be our God, to allow him to be strong, even though we are weak, to let him fill us with his power and his love and his goodness. So let's just take a moment and then I will pray for us as we listen to this song and we will do Zoom ministry after it's played for a little bit. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, I thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. Lord, we acknowledge that we are wrestling with all sorts of things. We bring them to you and we choose to bow down before you and we ask that you would be our God. You would be true to your promises, never to leave us, to hold us up. And we welcome your Holy Spirit right now.
Trust you. I trust you.